Welcome back to season two of Money Talks 50 Plus. I'm your host and program specialist for AARP Elder Watch, Rebecca Pearl. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to give you another season of fantastic content. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Mark Federhoff, who is an advisor with AARP in Denver and has worked on education and outreach to older adults for over 10 years. Mark currently works with a crew of dedicated volunteers to address thousands of inquiries each month about fraud, scams, and financial exploitation as a part of the AARP Elder Watch and AARP Fraud Watch Network. I'm thrilled to sit down with Mark today because Mark and I have been working on research for the past few months, and we are going to discuss a few of those findings with you today. Mark, thank you so much for being here. Um, I know we've been working on this research for quite some time now, so I'm really excited to be able to sit down and discuss it with you. Um, And the first question I have is, why do we engage in research projects like this? What does it help us achieve in our work? Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Rebecca. I'm excited to uh, be here today. I would say that, you know, since I've been a part of the Elder Watch program, this is the fourth, I believe, the fourth research project that we've engaged in. And these research projects are critically important because it helps inform the education and outreach that we're doing in Colorado. So we get a much better understanding of, of what types of things uh, real people are dealing with. And especially since we're talking about issues like financial literacy and fraud that a lot of people don't want to talk about or they don't want to report on. And so having that data about the different types of, of things um, from real life people that, that can help inform our work and, and what should we should be moving forward with in the years to come. I'm really excited to take the findings that we've discovered and apply it directly to the financial literacy work that we do. So while we were going through the survey, we had a variety of different questions that we wanted to include. And so I think the layout kind of took shape because of that. Is there anything unique about the way the survey was designed in your eyes? Well, this was the first time that we had done, Elderwatch had done a survey on financial literacy. And since since financial literacy was included as part of the Elderwatch project three years ago, um, it was just fun to be able to do something a little bit different. And, you know, really looking at, you know, the things that the Attorney General's office wanted to learn about, such as, uh, when financial literacy is starting, um, where there might be gaps in, in financial literacy for older adults, uh, as well as, as you know, any trends that might be happening as a result of COVID, I think were really important. And so I just think that um, looking at the different, you know, elements that came out of this report is, is just so interesting because there is just so much information. You know, I was reading through it again the last couple of days and I forgot, you know, some of the some of the interesting information that's in there just because it's so chock full of data. Yeah, absolutely. I think it totals what 54 pages, so there is tons of information in there. If you have not yet read the survey and are interested in doing so, you can go to aarp.org backslash co finances 50 and check out all of the findings there you can also check out our facebook page for some coverage on the survey that was done in the colorado media 
But Mark, I am curious, what did you find surprising about the survey results overall? Wow. I mean, again, there were so many takeaways as a part of this survey. And I really just think that overall, you know, one of the one of the findings that, you know, the survey came that, that really showed that I wasn't sure it would show was that generally people have a pretty good sense and feeling for their financial well-being. And when we're talking about Coloradans 50 plus. And so I thought there could have been more mixed results generally. Um, of course, there's plenty of plenty of other kind of surprising things, but the general sense of well-being and the general sense of well-being coming out of the pandemic and coming out of COVID, um, especially you know because that's when the survey was done, was was particularly surprising to me. And and I, I was expecting to see more, I think, kind of hardships coming out of the answers, and and we didn't see that as much, though it does exist in the data. It just didn't come to kind of the surface as much as I expected. I absolutely would agree with that. It was really interesting to find that majority of Coloradans 50 plus actually have a steady financial situation or came out of COVID with a better financial situation than they went into. Of course, that data does vary based on uh, demographic factors, but overall, that was one of the really big takeaways, I think. And I would agree. I, I thought there would be a lot of mixed results, especially because for a lot of folks, I think outside of the 50 plus age range, there were a lot of hardship that went on in terms of finances. The other thing that I found surprising overall is that people really have a grasp on how they feel about their finances overall. People are very sure of, right, either I'm doing really well or I'm doing not so well. And there's not a lot of mixed results in terms of that either. And I thought that was fascinating because I think a lot of times we perceive individual financial situations as having a lot of confusion involved with them. And that just turns out to not be the case with these findings as well. So going a little bit into specific results, we asked a handful of questions about how people perceive their financial decisions over their lifetimes. And one of the things we found was that the earlier people learned about finances, the earlier they started saving for retirement. This was a fascinating finding for me. What implications do you think this can have for educating folks on financial literacy, but not just financial literacy, also fraud prevention? Yeah, I mean, I that was a that was a really interesting question that was asked in the survey as well, um, just with regard to uh, the financial decisions and and I I think that there, you know, looking specifically at the different types of financial decisions. Um, and letting people know where, especially for those high ranking categories like the home ownership and that type of a thing, um, letting people know um, that that for a lot of people, that is, you know, maybe their most important financial decision that they're making. So they might take a little bit more thought into it as opposed to just jumping into some of these types of decisions or, or um, extending themselves more than than they might. Uh, otherwise. So I think, you know, kind of diving into that question and looking at the specific categories uh, like the homeownership um, and like the saving for retirement and realizing that, you know, less people are happy about how and and when they started saving for retirement than they should have been um, should be a, a great lesson for younger generations. I think that's a great 
lesson for younger generations. And I think it's also, we asked a handful of financial questions about, we also asked a handful of financial questions about financial decisions over the past 12 months and found that despite COVID, most of the 50 plus described their overall financial situation as better or the same as in March 2020. And I know we touched on this a little bit before. Um, and this is actually a question that you asked me on a webinar that was detailing the survey results, but I wanted to throw it back at you and say, why, why do you think that is? Honestly, it, this, this question I thought is a bit of a mixed bag because you, you want to think that a lot of people had a maybe a worse financial situation because of all the jobs that were lost and all the different issues that came with a result of that, as a result of that as well, uh, because unemployment has been such a major issue over the last 18 months. But I think generally speaking, people have uh, changed their lifestyle. And I really think that's, that's why there was financial savings uh, that was indicated as part of the survey. Um, and I think a lot of people just who continued to work or continued to um, taken, you know, retirement funds or social security funds or whatever it may be as normal, uh, they, were, they weren't then doing all the other things they might have done otherwise as a result of the pandemic, like going on trips or uh, maybe having the need to buy a new car or different, different making large financial decisions like that. Um, and that instead that money was just being banked away. And so I think that really is... Um, kind of re, the, the reflected as a part of the survey is just that the lack of doing anything um, really did shine through when we thought that, you know, maybe it's the, the loss of jobs that might have shown through. And you're and again, we're talking to a group of people um, that I think it was pretty split in terms of the data about who was retired and who was still working in terms of the respondents. Uh, and so you might have seen that uh, job loss in, in a small percentage of the respondents, but at the same time, uh, you're seeing more in terms of the retirees and and the um, funds that they were uh, just, you know, kind of saving as a result of the pandemic as a whole. Yeah, you make some really great points there about how folks' lifestyles have just shifted completely and they may have been making really large purchases that COVID postponed and th that money just went directly into savings. Um, I think you're, you're pretty spot on about the retirement uh, numbers. I think about 49% of folks were retired and the other 51% um, either working full-time or part-time. Um, and so it does show a very interesting result, right? When you're looking at a mixture of folks that are retired and are not retired and how um, saving, you know, continues to occur either way among that group during this, during these past 12 months. Something that we've talked about a lot uh, and I'd love to talk about is free annual credit reports because they're so important. We'll get into why they're so important. But about half of the 50 plus had checked their free annual credit report in the past 12 months. And those aged 50 to 59 were the most likely to have done so. What's the importance of checking credit reports and how can we better reach the 60 plus to encourage them to check their credit reports at a higher rate? 
Yeah, I'm really glad that we asked this question in the survey, and we've really asked it as a part of a lot of the surveys that we've done in recent history. And this, I will say, is the highest number that we've seen uh, in terms of the 50 plus population checking their annual credit report. Though I will say that, you know, and you just mentioned it, but as people get older, uh, according to the survey, they're less likely to check their annual credit report. So it's really important. Um, we're talking to people who are 60 plus and people who are 70 plus because those numbers are going down according to the survey in terms of actually checking their annual credit report. I know that the final number is seven or 48% of Coloradans have checked their annual credit report in the last 12 months, but a lot of that is due to the, the 50 to 60 uh, age range checking their annual credit report. Um, I think, you know, checking your annual credit report is such an important thing to do. And I'll give an example uh, of myself uh, when I checked my annual credit report, and this was probably four years ago, but there was a, um, a hard inquiry from Verizon Wireless on my credit report. And on that credit report, it said that someone had tried to open a Verizon account in my name. And so that still showed up on my credit report, even though I've never done business with Verizon in my life. And so I contacted Verizon um, and followed the different steps of, of disputing uh, what was on my credit report to make sure that that was not going to hurt me in the future. You know, I found out from Verizon that it was um, deemed fraud at the point of sale. And so whoever was trying to get a phone in my name uh, did not actually, uh, it did not actually work for them. Uh, but at the same time, it made me realize that someone did have my personal information and they were trying to open a phone at an actual retail location in the city in which I live. And so knowing that, um, it really helped inform me moving forward uh, that I needed to really protect my information and I needed to check my credit report more often in case things like that happen. And, and I've really, I'm actually um, secretly glad that situation happened to me because it, it provides an example of someone who, again, uh, does fraud and education for a living, uh, but also uh, it can happen to anyone. So it, it really does help illustrate why someone should check their annual credit report and they should do it frequently. And so hopefully, you know, people get that message for going to uh, annualcreditreport.com. And, and right now you can do it as, as, you know, frequently as once a week if you'd like. But, you know, even doing it a couple times a year uh, is a really good way to help make sure that, you know, if a bad guy does have your information, they can't get too far with it. Thank you so much for sharing that example. That is crazy that that happened, um, you know, in the city you live in with all the protections you take. Um, but again, checking that credit report was the way to find that out and then take extra precaution. Um, so a great example of why you should check your credit report if you're listening and haven't done so in a bit. And the one other thing we talk a lot about on Money Talks 50 Plus is how important it is to have these conversations with your loved ones about finances. Um, and we also asked about this in the survey as well and found that three-fourths of three-fourths of Coloradans 50 plus have discussed their finances with their loved ones. That's an awesome number. Um, I was really pleased to see that in the survey, but it does fall to just over half for those who are unmarried. And we know that partners have a huge influence on saving and spending and financial decisions just followed right after, followed by parents. So why are these conversations with your loved ones about finances 
so important, not just in general, but specifically as a fraud prevention mechanism. Yeah, and I'm glad you bring up this question, Rebecca, because I think it's it's really important that we think about it a little bit more. And I probably need to think about it a little bit more, too, because I would fall more in the category, you know, I'm not married. So I fall in the category of someone who, you know, would not necessarily have someone in your household who you could talk with your finances about. And, and so, you know, I think that for that number is really high, the 74% or, or three quarters of, of Coloradans who answered this survey have discussed their finances with a loved one. Um, and I think a lot of that is because that loved one might be living in their home with them and, and they have the opportunity to do that more readily. And for someone who might, like myself, who lives alone and who might not have that natural person to have that conversation with, it is a much more difficult thing to do um, in terms of whether you're talking about it with your kids or parents, that type of situation, or siblings, uh, if you might not have uh, children or parents uh, still alive to talk about it with. Uh, but having just that understanding uh, with someone who you trust, who whether even be a friend in different situations too, is so important just so they know where stands. And recently, you know, one of my good friends who, my best friend who I've known since kindergarten, you know, this is kind of a, a story kind of just along that line, was going skydiving. And he reached out to me that day that we went skydiving, and he said, I really want you to have these three account names and passwords in case something happens to me today. And, you know, he did that the last minute when he was going skydiving, but he reached out to me for that reason, just because he trusts me and he knows that that if something happens, he wanted someone to be able to deal with these types of things. And, and, and so, you know, thinking about that, you know, it's probably not the best way to have that type of a conversation before you go skydiving. But at the same time, it was a reaching out and having that conversation in, in a way, just because he knew all of the issues that might arise as a result of something going wrong with the skydiving trip. And so, you know, think of your life as a, as a skydiving trip, I think, and, and make sure that, that at least some of that critical information is shared uh, with, you know, that important friend or family members, regardless of if, you know, you have them living at your home or not. Because again, having, not having that person in your home really does decrease the opportunity to have those types of Think of your life like a skydiving trip. That is a great piece of advice. Um, and I think that example definitely highlights why these conversations are so important. Thank you for sharing that. And also very precious that you've had a friendship since kindergarten. Um, I think those types of friendships are just so special. So thanks for sharing that too. Mark, Thank you so much for taking the time today to join us on Money Talks 50 Plus. This is actually our teaser for season two, which is coming up. So everyone, please tune back in. Season two is coming out in just a few weeks and listen to all the great money nuggets we have for you. Before I let you go, Mark, is there anything else that you would like to add today? Yeah. Rebecca, you know, just thinking about the survey and all of the valuable information that that we got from it, I just want to highlight, you know, five of the takeaways that I got from the survey that I that I really hope that um, Elder Watch can use in its education and outreach to older Coloradans moving forward. You know, first of all, again, checking that annual credit report, we found out that almost half of the Coloradans, fifty plus, had checked their annual credit report, but you know, that still means half of them have not. 
And we really need to drive home the importance of checking that annual credit report like we talked about earlier. Also, you know, I think we need to emphasize to the importance of workplace retirement plans. So many people in this survey, it was, you know, upwards of three quarters of folks as well, um, really relied on that workplace retirement plan uh, as a way of saving money. I think we need to make sure that people know that there are other ways of saving money too. Uh, in addition to those workplace retirement plans and educate people about them as well. I also think that we need to take some of this important data from, you know, older, wiser generations and, and help enrich uh, that knowledge uh, amongst young people. You know, young people in this survey saying that, that, you know, mostly everyone wished they started saving earlier. And so thinking about that, um, and really kind of instilling that value in younger people and, and letting them and giving them avenues of savings to start with, I think is really critical. And so just reminding younger people that everyone in this survey wished they started saving before they actually did, I think is really important. Also, I think there was a lot of information and we didn't really talk about it today in this survey about pre preparation for end of life. And so I know, when, when looking at having those conversations, a lot of people are having those conversations about end of life and, and decisions and finances as end of life is coming up. Um, so that's great, but people can still do more. In addition to that, um, you know, it was, it was around 60% who had their documentation uh, prepared and ready, but that means 40% don't have their documentation in terms of wills, uh, advanced directives, that type of thing. Um, ready for end of life as well. And so I think we really need to educate people about how to do that. And I can't end this, uh, end this uh, interview without talking a little bit about fraud. And again, there was a number in that survey that really stuck out to me. And it was that a quarter of, of folks had lost money as a result of a fraud or scam. So that is a much more real number than what we really get from the different types of reports that we get um, because we know that most people don't report the frauds or scams that they're a part of. And so knowing that one in four people lost money to a fraud or scam in their life um, is, is, I think, a valuable nugget to take away, knowing that this is a real thing. And if you're in a room with four people, one of them had lost money to a scam. And so remembering that and remembering that this is a real problem and we need to continue to educate people about the most important uh, and, and most common frauds and scams that are taking money out of people's pocketbooks and really, uh, you know, uh, making sure that their, their uh, you know, finances for the end of life might not be there. So just thinking about that too. And, and again, Rebecca, thanks so much for having me today. I'm really glad you brought up that fraud number because one in four is a, a crazy statistic to think about. And it also, I think, goes a long way in destigmatizing some of the um, issues we see around being a victim of a fraud or a scam um, because one in four people are not stupid or gullible. This is obviously something that can happen to everyone and I think that just you know helps drive that point home again. Um, and thank you th for sharing those other takeaways too. I agree with wor workplace retirement plan education being vitally important and especially especially taking these general these gener intergenerational lessons and um, handing them down to younger generations, right? Retirement savings is so important. And that's one thing that we found. And 
people need to start early uh, and save often. So again, I thank you so much for being here today. And everyone, please tune in for season two. We're so excited to just bring you a ton of great content with incredible people and experts from across the country. If you like what you've been hearing today, please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your podcasts.